Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Pod save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. A bit of escapism for us today as we travel to Ireland. I'm your host Anne Gripper and we have never really managed to talk about William and Kate's trip to Ireland at the beginning of the month. Uh, it was when we did our special episode with the regional reporters instead and then news has been coming at us at a rate of knots so we've never quite managed to catch up with what William and Kate got up to on their visit. So Richard Palmer joins us shortly to talk about that. And then later on, I caught up with an old colleague of mine who I worked with back in 2005, early 2005, before Charles and Camilla were even married. Uh, So Gilly Beattie, who is the features editor of the Irish editions in print and online for The Mirror. She was brilliant talking about the Irish perspective and what the relationship with the royal family is like and we also talk quite a bit about dogs so this is largely a safe space there are one or two slight references to the c word which is causing us so much trouble at the moment but mainly this episode is all about the royals their visits to ireland and a very special sometimes difficult but actually in a lot of cases, very warm relationship. First up, let's catch up with what William and Kate got up to on their visit earlier this month. So Richard Palmer, the Express's Royal Editor, joins us. Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen, Richard Palmer. Lovely to have you back with us. Thanks for having me. Um, We've got you back on the show because you went... Half a lifetime ago, it seems right now, over to Ireland with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge for what looked like a really fun trip. Yeah, it does. It does seem like a, an age ago. Um, not quite in the pre-coronavirus era, but um, it, we were only at the very start of it then. Uh, it was. It was a fun trip. Yes, it was. Um, I, you know, it wasn't as momentous as a um, couple of previous trips I've been on to Ireland um, with the Queen in 2011 and with Prince Charles and Camilla in 2015 when they went to Mullock Moor um, to the place where uh, Lord Mountbatten was was murdered by the IRA. Um, but it was still it was still a great trip, and um, I think. Uh, I think William and Kate, as I said when I came on to your show last time, are in a very good place at the moment. Um, and it was, yeah, it was it was a great trip. So, what what are the highlights for you looking back on it now? Um, I think the, uh, the the final day was there was great fun at the end um, when they tried out some Gaelic sport and um, had a penalty shootout in the hurling 
Um, Kate seemed to come out on top. Most people seem to think she was naturally better at it than than William. I suppose perhaps not that much of a surprise because she played quite a lot of hockey at school. Um, but uh, that that was that was a really nice fun day. And there, and, and actually um, beyond that, the the image that will um, stay with me from that trip was of Prince William juggling. Who knew? Yeah, he was great. Um, uh, he, um, <laughs> yeah, that that was a that was a really nice day. That final day, and we also so they were in Galway um, in the town centre in the in the the late morning, and that was fantastic. There was a huge crowd there. Um, came out to, came out to see them. As I say, it was in the early stages of coronavirus and we really we were looking out at each engagement to see whether they were shaking hands with people and they did at that stage they carried on and um um they must have shaken a couple of hundred pairs of hands um that that day in Galway uh but it was just a really good natured crowd. Uh, the thing that I remember is Kate. I took, I took a little bit of video of this, where she she essentially finished her bit of doing a walkabout and was waiting for William to finish up, and then she just thought, oh, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll have another go, and she just dashed off back into the crowd and <laughs> a good three or four minutes of uh, greeting other people. So it was just a, yeah, very nice. How did Prince William come to be juggling? Did he volunteer that or was he challenged to give it a go and then suddenly busted out some moves that nobody knew he had? I've got a funny feeling that he might have known he was going to be uh, doing that. Uh, they, would, they, went up, they, they went off to see some performers who were um, in, going to be taking part in um, cultural events um, to mark... Um, Galway 2020 European Capital of Culture. Um, sadly, I think most of those events have. I think they've been cancelled now because of um, because of the health, the dreaded the dreaded C word. Um, but uh, yeah, there was some circus performers there as part of that. So um, I think they were invited to try the high wire and um, and politely declined that one. But he had a go at juggling, and as I say, he was very good. Uh, he, he overdid. He overdid it in the end, and um, and dropped everything. But um, initially, at least, he was very good. Has to be done. That's how juggling always ends, I think. And they were in Dublin as well earlier in their visit, weren't they? They were in Dublin the first day. Um, to be honest with you, as a reporter, it was a little. It was a little bit of a struggle uh, the first day, as it often is on on world tours, because they. They do all the things that other VIP visitors do when they're visiting the state. So, um, you know, they go to the president's residence, the prime minister's offices, um, Garden of Remembrance um, in in Dublin. Um, And so it can be a little bit dry sometimes. But it was actually it was there was some nice, nice stuff there. Um, uh, And the president has. uh, two lovely dogs. Sadly, one of them was was ill when when we went, but uh, 
Brode, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, sort of stole the show at um, the president's residence. Uh, one, one, one of the dogs um, uh, captured everybody's hearts, I think. And um, they, 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 they rang the peace bell um, in the in the president's garden, which was um, created to mark. I think it was the 10th anniversary of the Northern Ireland peace process. Um, all lovely stuff. Um, Garden of Remembrance. Um, you know, it's it's again visually that was very important because there there you have a future king and a future queen um, of the United Kingdom there marking um, the. The, the, the Irish men and women who died in the struggle to be free from British rule. Um, so a, a pretty important moment, I think, in the choreography of it all um, to emphasise uh, their continuing commitment, Britain's con continuing commitment to, to the Irish peace process. And indeed, um, William made a, a very good speech um, in Dublin on the second night um, at uh, the Museum of Literature, um, where he um, he said that he and his family would um, do everything they could to promote the peace process in 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 the coming years, in spite of Brexit, and he sort of acknowledged that you know Brexit created problems, but um, he he said that. Um, Britain, Britain wouldn't lose sight of the need for the peace process, and the royal family would was ready to play its part in that. You mentioned that you travelled with the Queen when she made that, you know, incredibly historic visit. What's that? Nearly a decade ago now. Uh, how much does it feel like things have moved on in the royal family's relationship with Ireland since then? Well. Um... It does. It, it does feel as if things have moved on in some ways, and then not in others. And one thing um, that I found a little disappointing, I suppose, but it's the reality of the situation, was that the security arrangements were really very similar to those in 2011. Um, as a journalist, you had to turn up to a designated press centre and go through a metal detector into a sterile area before you could get on a bus to then go out to wherever they were going to be. Um, and even if you just said, I'm just popping to the loo for a minute, you know, you, you, know, you still had to go out and come back in and everything in to go through the metal detector again. So I think that illustrates the, the potential dangers that are still there. Uh, of course, these days really just from dissident, dissident Republican groups. Um, but um, when I think back to 2011, uh, I, I, I remember the Queen's private secretary, Edward Young, um, uh, coming up to me on the final day and saying that one of the things that had struck the Royal Party was how the tension had lifted from the first day to the to the final day. And um, he'd mentioned that... Um, I think it was in O'Connell Street, one of the main drags in Dublin, um, where they where the, they'd set up a 
place for the crowd to to greet the Queen and uh, Prince Philip, but they had um, they got metal detectors, and on the first day there was just a very tense atmosphere. People people just didn't really people thought you know how's this going to turn out? Is there going to be an attack? How how are people going to treat them? Um, and by the final day, he said you know we just noticed everybody was smiling and waving, and the tension just seemed to have lifted. I mean that really was a momentous trip. Um, you know I can remember just suddenly without any. Um, uh, I think I was in Cork at the time, but on the way to Cork, um, the Queen stopped off somewhere and um, a local Sinn Féin mayor had come up and shaken her hand and, um, you know, nobody knew that was going to happen. And it, it was just a big deal at the time. Um, uh, I, I think um, uh, this time round, things have obviously moved on. Um, it, Things were, in some respects, things were a lot more relaxed, and um, I was slightly disappointed to see that there was still heavy security, not just for the journalists covering the trip, but obviously for the crowds as well. So, for example, when we went to the prime minister's office, um, uh, the, the street outside was blocked off; nobody could get anywhere near. Um, I think there were, from what I remember, there there were three places um, where the crowds could at least get a glimpse of the couple. Um, there was um, an event in uh, Dublin at Jigsaw on, on the second day in the morning where they, they saw them, but they, I don't think they could really do, they do a walkabout. And then I mentioned Galway on the final day when there was a big crowd. But actually my favourite engagement uh, partly, I suppose, because I, I was the the, rotor, the pool reporter covering it for everybody, um, was um, out in the country on the second day at a um, a charity called Extern, which um, deals with um, they call it. He calls itself a social justice charity, and it's dealing with um, people from vulnerable backgrounds, particularly where there's been there's been family family issues or whatever um, and it sort of provides a little bit of respite for kids and their families to come out to the countryside and um, and work through some of the issues and uh, William and Kate went there and um, uh, they helped make a vegetable soup with a bunch with some of these kids um, for, for everybody who was at the centres quite a large group of people and um, they uh, they needed to go out and get some ingredients, so they went out shopping um, to this um, local convenience store, Alondis, um, in a village called Prosperous, uh, to a couple of miles away. And um, it was all supposed to be a secret, <clears throat> um, but uh, it, obviously the shopkeeper had been approached. A guy called Philip Steins had been approached. Um, I think about three days before, and um, the, the Irish police had come 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 to see him. He was worried why they'd come to see him. Um, they said we've got we've got a VIP some VIP visitors coming, um, and we wanted to bring them to your shop. Would that be okay? And he had to agree to it before the guardian would tell him who who it was, and um, he was sworn to secrecy. 
but he went home that night. He told his wife. Um, she didn't believe him. Um, she, he told me, she said, uh, I'll show you, will you, will you go away and stop bothering me? Sorry, that was a, a terrible Irish accent. But, <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I thought that was quite funny. Uh, but when when they got there, there were hundreds of people outside and nobody could, quite knew what, what the, the police thought. Maybe it was because they'd been out painting the shop the night before, the day before, and that might sit people off. But he actually confessed to me, the shop owner, that he said we it was supposed to be a big secret. But we got to sort of late afternoon day before and um, we thought, oh, you know, it won't hurt if uh, we tell a few people, you know, have a few people come along and... Uh, and of course, it just spread like wildfire. And there were so they they did a big walkabout there. They they ended up spending about an, about an extra twenty minutes there than than had been planned, shaking hands with all these with all these people who turned out to see them. It's nice that they were able to deal with it in a in a spontaneous in a spontaneous way. Really, you mentioned as well visiting the site of Lord Mountbatten's murder with um, during Charles and Camilla's trip and their, their visit. What what was that trip like? Well, that, I mean, yeah, that, that felt a big moment, um, a big moment in, for reconciliation. Um, in, in, in 2011, the Queen, in a very understated way, had, had made a speech where she talked about how um, many families, including her own, had been touched by the Troubles. Uh, and I think that had a huge impact um, and you know, and of course, she was. You know, she 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 was she was meeting. Um, she she she, had, she went on to meet um, Jerry Adams and Jeanette uh, um, Martin McGuinness in Northern Ireland um, in in Belfast. I was there for that as well, and uh, that was those were big moments because. Um, they were uh, they were members of the IRA Army Council that ordered Mountbatten's murder. Um, certainly, McGuinness was, um, although he always denied it, and and Jerry Adams, I think, has always denied being a member of the Army Council. Um, but um, yep, certainly, military sources have always insisted that both were members of the Army Council. Um, so, and then we got to Mullock Moor, where you had Charles um, talking about his beloved. Um, you know, Uncle Dickie, and um, uh, <clears throat> went there with um, uh, some of the. He, I mean, he was talking to some of the villagers who'd um, who'd been friends with the Mountbatten's, and um, if I remember rightly, um, one of the survivors came, but came back. Uh, uh, one of the Natchbull boys um lost his brother and um it was it was a very emotional day um and you know this is this is part of what the royal family do i mean i think um people abroad often don't realize that they're they're you know they're diplomats amongst other things and it's the highest form of diplomacy when when members of the royal family go on these foreign trips and it was all part of building a peace process between between our two countries 
Thanks for catching us up, Richard, on on all of William and Kate's recent adventures and some of your past adventures as well. Hopefully we will all be able to have some adventures again very soon and we'll get you back on to talk about future royal outings as well. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. It was really nice to hear from Richard again. You can follow him at Royal Reporter on Twitter. He joined us back in the autumn, such a long time ago now, it feels, uh, talking about Meghan and Harry's trip to Africa, the documentary that came out of it, and also about William and Kate's visit to Pakistan. So if you are finding that you've got a little bit more time on your hands at the moment and would like to listen back to uh, some previous episodes, then they were they were good ones at the time as they all are obviously but in particular you might like to listen back to those some interesting looks ahead at how how things turned out really anyway there's lots more to think about with Ireland so we've had Richard's perspective from someone who travels with the royals a lot but I also really wanted to get the view from Ireland to see how how people on that side of the Irish Sea see the royal family and the visits which have only really been taking place over the last decade. So really major historic changes. And for that, it was a great pleasure to catch up with my old colleague, Jilly Beatty. Hello and welcome to Pod Save the Queen, Jilly Beatty. It's been a little while since you and I were working together in the Belfast office back in the day in 2005, but it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Anne. I'm surprised we can both remember it, to be fair. I was, it was a long, long time ago, although I have to say I was um, thinking about our much-missed colleague, Joe Gorrods, when I was preparing for this um, podcast, because I can remember him saying um, a good test for a young reporter would be to send them out to, I think it was Gaelic football, partway through the first half, having not told them the rules and making them file a report on it. And that would be an excellent piece of training for a young journalist. And looking at the pictures of William and Kate playing around with the uh, Gaelic football and hurling just reminded me of Joe. I can't do justice to his Sunderland accent, which he never lost despite years and years in Northern Ireland, but just brought me back a happy memory of my time with you guys. That's right. It was very interesting seeing Kate and William um, playing hurley, uh, which is an Irish game, which is a sort of a, a super violent uh, mode of, of, let me say, ground hockey. And um, interesting, some of the, the UK editions of various magazines and American magazines as well described them as playing a sport <laughs> because I guess some people didn't really know what it, what it was. But Hurley obviously is a, it's a, it's like a ground hockey, but you can lift the ball and you can hit the ball. And the, um, the actually hur- the Hurley, which is the stick, the wooden stick that you use, has a flat end on it, like a large, nearly like a wooden spoon. And uh, Kate was an absolute whiz with that. She managed on her third attempt to crack the ball quite a distance. And uh, you could see the absolute joy in her face when she did that because it makes a fantastic noise. It's a bit like a cricket noise. And William was quite astonished. And of course, they're always competing. And he's always racing. Her, him and Harry are always racing with her in the background. And she just knocked it out of the park that day. It was, it was a real joy to see. Kate's a, Kate's a hockey girl at heart, really, isn't she? So probably maybe there's a little bit of crossover with the hurling there. Yeah, yes, uh, I guess you would say hurling, you really do need a lot more um, 
uh, protection because it's a lot more of a, it shouldn't really be a contact sport, but it, it ends up being a contact sport. And if you don't have your hockey shin pads on or your hurley shin pads on, you can, you can get into a really big mess. And in terms of, it's obviously a big deal when the royal family go anywhere, but there is a there is a particular relationship between the UK and Ireland, both both a relationship of friendship and and closeness, but also a kind of a, a, a difficult relationship from the past. So I think I think it was Harry years back, went, or a couple of years ago, went to Croke Park, which is the home of sort of Irish sport, and the the royal family getting involved with these sort of icons of Irish sporting culture is probably something that would have been unimaginable you know a couple of decades ago well it's, it's a confusing type of relationship and a confused relationship as well but there's such a loyalty there too and you know there's all this there's a situation about the Republic of Ireland broke free from the British Empire in 1922 so nearly 100 years ago um, but we've Ireland's always had a bit of an obsession with the royals. Um, I mean, even Queen Victoria, like in 1900, there was a piece written, there was a poem published in the Irish Times um, which welcomed the gracious sovereign. And um, it, it said it said in that at the time that, you know, um, Ireland was really, I think her reply, her, it says, Irish hearts are loyal, Irish hearts are keen, most loving people you can ever know than your Irish subjects this they plainly show. Now, of course, they were Irish subjects at that time in, in the 1900s. 1922, that broke apart, and Ireland, you know, really, really came out of came out of the um, the British Empire. And there was a whole different feeling then. But if we move forward to today, nearly 100 years on, um, well, you've got a lot of situa- situations going on. In 1916, with Ireland becoming an independent state, um. Then you have the Queen arriving over in Ireland in, in Belfast in 2012 and um, and in 2011, the Republic of Ireland. And I guess it was very, there was a sort of a graciousness on both sides where everybody had a kind of say, yeah, we have our differences. We're not the same people. We're not the same types of people, but there's something that we like about each other. And there's a sturdiness about the Irish people and a steadiness about about the Queen that seems to resonate quite nicely between everybody. And, you know, when, when, when Queen Elizabeth shook hands with the Northern Ireland Deputy First Minister Martin McGuinness um, in, in the Lyric Theatre in Belfast in 2012, the whole island nation took an, uh, a deep breath because we just didn't know what would happen, considering her, um, her husband's um, granduncle, as he would have been described, Lord Louis Mountbatten was murdered by the IRA and McGuinness was a former IRA commander. It was very, very difficult, but they did it. And McGuinness greeted her by saying, are you well? And she said, well, I'm still alive. So (laughs) there's that kind of that kind of attitude of, well, we're we're not the same people, but you know what? We kind of secretly like each other. And there's always been this thing as well, because Harry's a redhead. And we, I think Ireland claims him to be one of our own because you could see him quite easily out in a fishing boat in, in, on the Irish Sea or you could see him in one of his carriages down the mall. He, he could be Irish. His looks are very, very Celtic. 
I suspect he might quite like to be out in a fishing boat. That would probably probably suit him as an alternative alternative life as he's as he's changing. The Queen's visit in 2011 to the Republic of Ireland, a formal state visit. How big a deal was that? It was massive. Honestly, it was massive. I mean, I'm based most of my time in Belfast in Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK. And um, but we are also very much on the island of Ireland and we are very much part of Ireland. So, you know, we're kind of a hybrid between the two. Um, we sort of thought, well, we love, you know, the people in Northern Ireland, a lot of people love when the royals come here. There were a lot of royalists here and we have a lot of celebrity seekers in here as well. And Ireland loves celebrity. Now, who, even if you're not a royalist or you're not a, a, you know, loyal to the, 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 the Queen of England, who's the, one of the world's biggest celebrities of that age? And it's, the, it's Queen Elizabeth. Um, and there's something about her that kind of, um, you know, she's so familiar. She's, she's been with us all of our days. There are very few of us older than her. So she's just so familiar. And, and it was done with such a plum in Ireland where she was welcomed with such grace and um, the former president, Mary McAleese, clever, clever, clever lady. And um, it was all just done so nicely, you know. And when you're brought along as members of the public, um, the radio or watching it online to see all of this stuff, you do get carried in. You do get carried along with it. Um, and just to see people's, um, what, what people are wearing and you know, what the menu's like and what the beautiful inscription writing is like on the menus it is it's a little bit of a fairy tale but um the queen obviously lives this every day and i'm sure it can get a bit boring for her but for us we're just you know we're the ordinary plods but she has a knack and i have met her once at windsor castle but i she has a knack and people tell me of just making people feel well you know i'm just like you you know you're just like me let's shake hands and have a chat and move on She's not supercilious. She's not above her. She doesn't seem to be above herself. Um, and I think people link into that very nicely in Ireland because we don't like uppity. We don't like uppity. How come you got to meet the Queen at Windsor Castle? Well, there was um, um, a party for for the for the press, and um, some of the members of the press from the uh, from the Northern Ireland um, teams over here were invited. Um, and we all just went over and it was in the Great Hall um, and the whole royal family was there and they were meeting and greeting and some were a little bit more gracious than others, shall we say. But the Queen was there, but she um, she's tiddly. I mean, she's so tiddly. Even then, I mean, that was quite a few years ago, maybe in the early 2000s. Um, but Prince Philip, I accidentally stepped on, on his foot with a rather um, sharp stiletto heel. And uh, I stepped backwards, letting somebody else pass. And he grabbed me by the shoulders and said, oh, I say. And when I turned around, he said, oh, you must be one of the Irish lot with your red hair and blue eyes. And I thought, who is this? And it was, of course, it was, it was, it was uh, the Queen's, the Queen's husband. <laughs> it could only be. I know. Only I could step on his toe, to be honest with you. But there you go. It was, it was a very nice do. It was very nice. And a classic Prince Philip response as well, I should think. It's yeah. Just yeah. speak speak first and ask questions later. Yeah, well, look, fortunately, I don't take offence that easily. And he wasn't being rude. He, I mean, I really did 
stab on his toe. And uh, it, I think it probably did pain him. But um, it, it was quite interesting because I thought, who's just grabbed me from behind? But it was the uh, <laughs> <was a> good prince. <laughs> did you get to get see, get to see any of the other royals? But maybe not quite so close up at a stiletto, stiletto distance, but have yeah. a chat with them or hear them chatting with other people. Well, Princess Anne was there and it was quite interesting. And she... Um, there were some people that she knew there quite well who were some of the racing correspondents were there and she knew them quite well and she was very chatty with them. But the rest, I got the impression she was just, it was a dutiful day for her, a dutiful evening for her. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a trial to have to go in a, in a group of people that you've never met who may or may not like you and be polite and, you know, try and have a, you know, some sort of meaningful conversation with them. When, you know, maybe both parties don't really want to be there. Certainly, we didn't get the impression all the royals desperately wanted to be there. It was a duty call and um, the Queen led the way. They followed and there was an awful lot of booze taken, I can assure you. So, uh, but we were told at the end of the day, the end of the evening, um, all the glasses vanished, all the booze vanished and the doors were opened and we were escorted out. (laughs) So there wasn't really... um, it wasn't like one of those kind of, well, where are we going next, Liz? You know, it was more it was more along the time. Well, listen, we've welcomed you in. And can you now please clear off? So <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was good fun, though. It was good fun. And a real experience and a, and a privilege to, to be in such an incredible building. Just absolutely beautiful. In terms of the Queen's sort of momentous visit and kind of the, the hand of reconciliation, if you like, you know, the handshake with Martin McGuinness and that kind of thing, how much of a long-lasting impact do you think those two visits have had in terms of, to a certain extent, saying, like, if, if, if these two people can shake hands and be friends and put the past bef- behind them, essentially, even if, even if it's only in public, um, how, how much of an impact do you feel that had in terms of how, you know, how Ireland and Northern Ireland responds to keeping working at that peace and reconciliation? First of all, I'm not sure that the past is behind either of them. Martin McGuinness has now died, obviously, but, um, our history will always be our history. The Queen's history will always be hers, as, as will as will the Republican movement that Martin McGuinness was leading. So the history, you know, they say history, if you're going to say history is behind you, that's one thing, but it is not forgotten. But then there are new experiences that happen every day, and those are also not forgotten. And that new experience of Martin McGuinness standing in the Lyric Theatre in Belfast with the Queen coming in dressed in green to... He put his hand out to her to shake his hand, to shake her hand and for them to shake hands and for the Queen to smile and, and smile her very, what looks like a very genuine smile to, to people that, like myself that wouldn't know her. Um, that is new history being made and we have to keep looking back and mix that into the whole big recipe of, of all the good and the bad that's gone on. Um, it was a momentous moment and it was a time where an awful lot of people were going, wow, this is an amazing thing that we should take forward with us and there were a lot an awful lot of people who just felt terribly sorry for the queen having to shake hands with martin mcginnis because they were saying well how, how would she be put in such a position and then there were people who were saying oh poor martin mcginnis having to shake hands with the, the queen of england how would anybody put him in that position but there was that there was a conciliation going on there amongst all these people 
And I think the public were just taken along on that wave. And I think it was one of those situations where it's now a moment in our history and we will never know the truth of what those individuals were thinking. We will never know that. We've heard that the Queen said um, many years afterwards, well, he, he, he shook my hand. I had to shake his. It would, would have been awkward not to. But we don't know if that's the actual truth. Um, what we do know is that the handshake took place. That's it. That's that's really what we know. And that was done for very specific reasons. It was done because it was time. It was done because Ireland is a is a, a new a new country, you know, a very you know, new modern country. Um and the UK is modernizing and, and you know, she's a modernist royalist, really, when it comes down to it. You know, she's moving with the times. Um so w- regarding peace. I don't don't know that. Uh, I think for the general the general people within our communities, I think we all want peace. I think to the people who still are involved with dissident republicanism and with any other sort of terrorism, a handshake between two individuals who were once at war is not relevant. Um, nothing's relevant to those people except destruction and, and murder and mayhem. So, but for the rest of us, yes, it's very relevant and 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 quite. Um, giving us quite a quite a warming feeling that actually this can happen there's that there's martin mcginnis you know um book boy from the dairy from from dairy from the housing estate in dairy and the queen of england um and they're on level pegging in that theater in belfast they're just humans when at the end of the day and that will well, that is what really struck home to me it's like these two people you would never put them in the same building um, for many reasons, and and here they are, and they're able to have a quick chat. That's a human condition, isn't it? We're all we're all just human. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's one of the things with the royal family is that they are sort of, you know, they're princes and princesses and kings and queens living in castles, and they are put up on a pedestal. But then every now and then there are things that kind of transcend um, tra- transcend that special existence, and actually. They come down to being people, whether that's through human reactions or as we're seeing now, you know, dealing with dealing with illness that is affecting other people as well. But, you know, all of all of that, ultimately, they are people at the end of the day. And you obviously mentioned that uh, the Queen came in wearing green. And we, we talk quite a lot about diplomat- diplomatic, fashionable dressing. The, uh, Kate is a master at it as well and we obviously see her wearing green every St Patrick's Day although not not this year because the Irish guards were away on on duty so she didn't do her traditional pinning of of shamrocks and things but you know in in terms of does that does that matter to people do people do people actually notice do they do they think oh yeah that's nice they're wearing green because to be fair Megan and Kate and the Queen have all looked stunning in green they're quite they're lucky they can all wear it which was very fortunate because i think they all wore it when they, on their various trips to ireland mm-hmm. well i think people do appreciate it and they certainly do notice it and i think what it states is um we associate the color green with the country of ireland and i mean it's a very simple simple equation but the fact of the matter is will i bother to wear green or blue or pink is you know you, the, these guys have their dressers, they have their advisors, and they have their own personal taste. But wearing green to Ireland might seem like a very simplistic sort of a, a signal, but it's a nod of respect of, I know where I'm coming to, I know who you are, and part of that is that colour. And it's, you know, I don't know if there's any other colour in the world that would um, 
would actually deal with that um, in that way. But um, certainly, um, you know, that it works. It works for us. It works for us here. And you said you said obviously that I you think that the Queen and Ireland are a very good fit in their character, and that Harry is you know the sort of the redheaded Irish Irish prince, if you like. But how how does Ireland feel about the rest of the royal family? And obviously, the Queen is not going to be Queen forever, much as it would be nice if she could be. But how how do you think they see those younger generations, or how, and how do you see them? Well, uh, let's let's put it. Let's start from this premise. I think Ireland is a matriarchal matriarchal community, and we all have the mammy in our house and our homes. And if we haven't, if we don't have the mammy at home now, we've had mammy at home. And the queen is the ultimate mammy. She is the ultimate matriarch, and we are we 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 understand that kind of society. She's a boss. She's a boss in her in her family, and and in most Irish families. No matter who says who's the boss, it tends to come down to mummy or or granny. That's really where the buck stops. So um, there, so that there's that familiarity, and it's kind of she, yeah. The queen is the ultimate mummy. That's what I would say first of all. But when you look at the likes of of Kate and William, and you look at um, Harry, they are a more modern type of royal in that they're just less. There's less pomp and ceremony around them personally. They want to be, I mean, William and Harry always had said that they wanted to, to live with their with their mother in mind um, and, and and have that kind of common touch in, in the pos- best possible sense of, of that phrase. Um, so they wanted to be with the people and of the people. Um, and they have both managed to do that. And Kate has been a supremely um, professional example of how to come from a non-royal family into the royals and also just be, you know, respectful of the royals while actually being supporting of her husband um you know a mum to her three children um they have they have a dog they have they you know if you set set aside all the royal glitz and glamour and all the dresses and all the finery and all the stuff that happens around the the royalty kate would make a really nice neighbor <laughs> you know she's a kind of well she's not she seems like a nice girl doesn't she and she's got wit as well and she's you know they are a dream to look at. You, you, when when they arrive at any ceremony or or any do, whether they're in jeans and and sweatshirts or they're in the the their glad rags, people drink in the vision in front of them because they're a good looking couple. Um, there's something very very you know just very attractive about all of that. Um, and I think there's an ease that Kate has got. She's she's found her place within her her adopted home of, of the royal family she's found her place as a mum she's found her place as a as a wife and she seems to have found her place in society and she seems on the whole quite at ease with it and that puts everybody else at ease with it and of course she's brilliant with kids um she's and you see these photographs of her scolding her own children and you just think to yourself Oh, she's just like everybody else, isn't she? You know, uh, especially at me and Megan's wedding, Megan and Harry's wedding, when she was giving the kids the the stern eyebrow, the mommy eyebrow. Um, you know, I think the world just went, oh yeah, I've we've been there, we've been there, and and here she's having to do it in front of all the cameras and the world's cameras. So I think there's a great fondness for her, and I think she's been able to soften up the image that um that William would have had as sort of you know, heir to the throne. 
Um, and I think Harry had a, a position in that as well because he kind of wears his heart in his sleeve, whereas William's always been a little bit more Mountbatten about the whole thing, um, where one doesn't really you know, show emotion. But they have modernised as young men as well, and they've encouraged other young men to to talk about their feelings and to talk about vulnerabilities and you know i you know i think they do a good they they do a good job in the job that they're in and in terms of um charles and camilla how how are they perceived do you think um well they wouldn't be as popular and they wouldn't be they wouldn't be the crowds the same the same crowds that you would get for for william and kate but having been here at their having actually covered one of their, their last visits here, um, they were in for County Fermanagh and the place went mad for them. I didn't think it would. I'll be honest with you. I thought they'd be like, well, Charles is a bit stuffy and Camilla's not Diana. And well, well maybe if he, if, if he passes by in the car, we might wave. But actually the place came to a standstill and it wasn't just that you had the sort of the the, the loyalists, the royalists, the Protestants, the unionists, the, you know, those those people out there. The whole community came out. Every shop, whether they were Irish, English or whatever nationality they were off in the streets in Fermanagh, um, they all had their union flags up and their special little cakes out and their stands out and the whole place came to a standstill. So it was something that I wasn't expecting to have quite that that much um excitement about but then i guess are we then relying again on well they are celebrity at the end of the day because i don't think it was about their royal their royal heritage i think it was basically that they're really famous and everybody likes to be acknowledged and they acknowledged everybody they came into nearly every shop and you know people people like to be acknowledged don't they and there's something very human about that contact which i don't think we expect as much of from from um prince charles and camilla as we do from from the boys. How difficult is it for you guys to plan for royal visits from a reporting point of view? Because often, certainly in visits to Northern Ireland, tend to be kept under wraps a lot longer for security reasons. So they're often sort of presented as a, the royals make a surprise visit to Northern Ireland. Um, and we saw Kate turned up there as part of her, her tour, uh, doing her big five questions survey. Um, so there, there's certainly a, a surprise to a lot of people. You presumably get a bit of a heads up and are able to plan slightly, slightly more and, and go to town with it if you need to. Well, I'll let you into a little secret, Anne. Um, at the Daily Mirror, in all of our offices, particularly um, when it comes to royal visits, we have very good sources. And in Northern Ireland, particularly, we have very, very good sources because we have a lot of um, people who will talk to us that we trust that are going to give us information that we need to give to the public. When the royals are coming here, it is it is acceptable form that we will be told by the Northern Ireland office, which is the government that looks after all, everything that happens here, um, that there will be um, a VIP visit. And um, before we get that email, which is circulated to all media, we will already know um, because we will have had our sources will have been letting us know. Um, listen, keep that day free. They won't tell us particularly who's coming. They may not know themselves, but um, it depends how many Vs are put in front of the VIP and the more Vs you have in front of a VIP, the higher up the, the family scale you go. So we tend to know that if 
we each of us, I would imagine each of us certainly have particular sources. When they say keep Tuesday free, um, we're 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 expecting a helicopter. You know somebody is coming in, um, and then after that you'll get that's unofficial. And then after that you'll get the Northern Ireland office telling us, can you for briefing purposes only, not for publication. Can you be at this particular place at this particular time? And then you're corralled. The staff are corralled into um, a secure area. You know, all of the security is vast. It is vast and has to be. Um, it's vast wherever they go, but particularly in Northern Ireland and in some particular areas of Northern Ireland, it's even more secure. Um, so, you know, the night before, the two days before this happens, you'll often see the police dog unit out with their sniffer dogs and their te- they're going through every grating every bin you know ahead of you would have seen it in london ahead of the royal wedding um where they do all the searches around the area well that would be a regular thing here because we do still have um terrorism and dissident republicans who 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 like to disrupt our world um so the minute you see somebody out you know the dog handlers out um searching uh for for hopefully nothing then you know some some big name is is about to land um Tie that up with what happens to your sources. Tie that up with what happens with the NIO, and um, there you go, Bob's your uncle. You're, you're. We we do get the information. We do get it, and we get it readily. Um, but we are very careful, Anne, that we do not share it, because we could be putting lives at risk. We only share it when we're able to share it, and you know we're. It's a trust that has built up in this country, and it's the same in England and Scotland and Wales. It's a, it's a trust between. Um, the people who can be trusted to have the information and not to mess it up for the people that are coming in to pay respects to our community. Absolutely. Um, finally, I know that you're a dog lover and oh, yeah. uh, I think probably the only element of any of the royal visits that can steal the show from the royals is Michael Higgins's amazing dog. <laughs> Wasn't that brilliant? That that sort of warmed my heart to, to everybody. Like we all love Michael D. Higgins because he is like a a living leprechaun, isn't he? He's 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 such a little tiddler. He's even smaller than the Queen. But at the the royal visit there recently in in March, he had he has two dogs, two Bernese mountain dogs called Broth and um, Shoda, I think it is. And it's, it's Irish for pride and silk. And um, I'm not sure which of the ones I think it was was Broth came out into the into the. Uh, the assembled gathering uh, where there were lots of very nice speeches being made. And he was looking for, for his, his daddy. He was looking for Michael D Higgins and this dog, he must be 40, well, he must be 50 kilos. He's massive. And he was plodding about the, <laughs> plodding about the audience kind of wondering where daddy is. And then he found Michael D who was sitting down. And so it was time for belly rubs. So Prof just, <laughs> he just lies down on the ground puts his belly and everything else he has in his undercarriage up in the air and Michael D. Higgins has given him chest jobs and but you know what it was so human and of hip we we love Michael D. Higgins because he is just an honorable man and he's you know he's he's very human um he's very gracious and he is he's a he's a good I think he's one of the good guys people have great respect for him he's an elder statesman here and then you've got the additional sort of element of of you know him and his wife of these two amazing dogs and you know there's that kind of irish kind of even in the, even in the most secure area 
and the most secure, most secure day and you've got the royals everywhere um that the dog gets in <laughs> just something brilliant about it it's just lovely and the dog wasn't shooed out or told, oh go away go away he was just oh you'll be part of the gang that's fine and we love that i think that's the kind of casual approach that slips into the the, the whole irish um feeling when, when and maybe that's what the royal the royals like as well that you know there is pomp and ceremony but at the end of the day we do everybody likes a everybody everybody likes a belly rub. And the royals are definitely dog people, it is fair to stay. Ginny, it has been an absolute delight. Thank you for being our VVV VIP this week and giving us You're welcome. Giving us a bit of an insight into how, how the royals are viewed from Ireland. But hopefully we might get you on again sometime in future once they're back on their on their travels and visiting you over the other side of the Irish Sea again. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us and do take care of yourselves. Bye. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jilly as much as I did. I'm such fun to catch up with her and hear her perspective. Some really interesting thoughts on things. And I have to say, I couldn't half help thinking of the Queen as Mammy from Mrs. Brown's Boys, which I'm not sure is quite right. But there we go. It was what popped into my head. Maybe that is the cabin fever setting in. So sadly, that is the end of this little bit of escapism, but we have some more exciting things planned for you coming up very soon. Do look out on our Instagram because we would like to have your questions about how the royal family works, all the kinds of bits of detail behind the scenes, why things are the way they are and how the whole show stays on the road because we have an expert joining us in a couple of weeks time who will be answering those questions. If you aren't on Instagram then you can email us podsavethequeen at trinitymirror.com. We'll be back again later this week with another episode, your regular Thursdays. We'll try and stick with that as much as possible so Mark Thursdays in your calendar as Pod Save the Queen Day. In the meantime, you can always catch up with us on Twitter at Pod Save, on Instagram as well. And we are all over the Mirror website with the latest royal news and all sorts of other news and entertainment as well. So wherever you are, thank you for listening. Stay safe and well. And until next time. Pod Save the Queen! 